The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today, we have Marianne Williamson coming back to us for the second time to talk about her latest book, The Law of Divine Compensation, on Work, Money, and Miracles. Most of us already know several of Marianne's other books, including A Return to Love, The Age of Miracles, Everyday Grace, A Woman's Worth, Illuminata, Healing the Soul of America, and The Gift of Change. As Time Magazine put it, Yoga, the Kabbalah, and Marianne Williamson have been taken up by those seeking a relationship with God that is not strictly tethered to Christianity. We also know that there's thousands of books out there on the subject of work and money and thousands of others on miracles. But bridging the gap between the work, the money, and the miracle, that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's an important topic right on this day after Christmas when many of us have emptied our pocket books and our savings accounts for Christmas. But it's also important right here on the edge of what looks like a fiscal cliff to some. And uh, also it's a very important time in this economic uh, consciousness that we have. So this, is, this topic is very timely, and we're very grateful that you're here, Marianne, to talk with us about it today. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you. I'm grateful that you're having me on your show. Yeah, well, you know, one of the quotes you had in your book uh, that I also have hanging up in my office is uh, Einstein said it, no problem is solved in the same consciousness that created it. And I think that's what this book is all about, isn't it? Well, yeah, you know, according to the spiritual traditions, we can look at the world through one of two filters, and one is the filter of fear, and one is the filter of love. And if you look at the world through the filter of fear, and then you get fearful consequences, you can't fix the problem if you're still looking at it through the eyes of fear. So spiritual transformation, enlightenment, the inner journey, whatever words we want to use, is about changing the mental filter. And when it comes to work and money, there are very entrenched thought forms and attitudes that the world teaches us uh, about where money comes from, about uh, the fact that it comes from outside us rather than inside us, uh, the fact that this is a world of scarcity, according to the thinking of the world. Um, there are only so many pieces of the pie, and if uh, uh, somebody has uh, a piece, there's less for you, and you have to compete with others in order to get your piece of the pie, and you may or may not be good enough, um, and you have to struggle, uh, all those things. Even My favorite is the way the world talks about how in order to succeed, you have to take the bull by the horns, mm-hmm. which I find particularly laughable because taking a bull by the horns is a suicidal thing to do. Absolutely. So there is another way of looking at all this, and this has to do less with ambition and more to do with inspiration, more to, less to do with thinking there's a job out there that you need to find and more having to do with an inner calling that exists in all of us by which we are programmed 
to contribute, to contribute at the highest level, to give a gift that is uniquely ours. We don't have to compete with anybody because nobody has the gift that we're here to bring, and we don't have the gift that somebody else is here to bring. And that on the realm of this realization and on that plane of consciousness, there is no scarcity at all. And there's more than enough room for everyone. And we are programmed, just like the cells in the body, are programmed to collaborate with other cells in order to increase the healthy functioning of the organ and of the system of which they are part. We are actually emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually programmed to give our gifts in collaboration with other people, thereby increasing the gift that all of us can give in order to support the healthy functioning of the universe. Yeah, it's fascinating to me, too, that we have to... We, that we have to turn our thinking around, turn our beliefs around really to this paradigm that is the inner person rather than the external world that we have been so trained in all those beliefs that you just mentioned to, to, to live outside of ourselves instead of internally. Well, with the advent of the Industrial Revolution, uh, first in England and then here in the United States, and remember, we're not talking that long ago. We're talking about the end of the 19th century. The, the, the Industrial Revolution brought about such an explosion of amazing uh, exterior phenomena that you can see how the Western mind would have been amazed. All of a sudden, we had an understanding of the external world that had never occurred before. The scientific revolution uh, was born from that. And you can kind of understand how easy it would have been to be so sucked into this external orientation. Interestingly enough, there were many poets, philosophers, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Thoreau, so many people, Walt Whitman here in the United States and um, in England, the transcendentalist philosophers, many of the painters in England, who really did sound a cry of, uh, of alarm and was warning us about the imbalance that would occur if we became so focused on the externals in life that we lost touch with the internals. And so what has happened is exactly that. We have become split creatures in a way. And the, the problem, of course, that many of us understand now is that if I only see power outside myself, then I lose the remembrance, I lose the realization of how much power is inside myself. And that's so important at a time of economic hardship because, you know, you read in the paper about how, you know, about recessions and about slow economic recovery, and so you are tempted to meet the limited thinking with a, a limited uh, thought system. You know, it's terrible, I'm a failure, uh, they're, they're not hiring, even if they hire someone, they're not hiring people my age, uh, it won't be getting better for a while, there aren't any jobs out there. So then we, we meet the limited circumstance with limited thinking, and of course we get into an emotional nosedive and a psychological nosedive, which absolutely saps us of the energy that we need in order to create breakthrough. And those breakthroughs are possible. I mean, many Fortune 500 companies have actually been started during recessions. Hmm. So the idea here is to meet a limited circumstance with unlimited thinking, and that's what I hope people receive from reading the book as kind of a guide to doing that. Yeah, and what a beautiful guide it is, too. It really is. It, uh, it really does turn us to look, to really look at how we can transcend uh, some of these common fears and thoughts that you Well, have. thank you. 
Yeah, so one of the things you, you also say in, in the book is that um, we're not uh, having a depression because the economy is depressed. The economy <clears throat> is depressed because we're depressed. I want to talk some more about that, if you will. Well, it goes back to uh, that issue of, of our own internal state. You know, when you look at work from a spiritual perspective, you see it as something that we all want to do. We want to wake up in the morning and, and feel that creative high of some talent, some ability, some skill set that we have that we're able to exercise in a way that, that, that lifts us and those around us to a higher creative possibility. We want to do that. We don't want to wake up in the morning and rob a bank. You want to wake up in the morning and do something really cool with your radio program. Mm-hmm. I want to wake up in the morning and feel that, that uh, I could write a good book. And we, the universe, automatically pro- programs us so that you find yourself collaborating with me, your talent, pulled with my talent, in a way that hopefully takes both of our work to a higher place. Yeah. The soul longs for that, just like the, the flower is programmed to blossom. You and I are programmed to blossom. The, the, one of the main points of the book is that it is a self-organizing universe, that the embryo is programmed to become a baby and the bud is programmed to become a blossom and the acorn is programmed to become an oak tree, and you and I are programmed to become the best version of ourselves, doing the best that we can do in a contributive way on the earth. When we do not, we're depressed. It's like a, a, a flower that just sort of wilts because it's not receiving sunlight and it's not receiving water. We wilt when we don't have access to our own internal uh, creativity. In a world that tells us, no, you, you have no job if you've lost your job, then of course people just wilt. It's like, well, there's nothing I can do of value. What the spiritual perspective says is that you can lose a job, but you can't lose your calling. Your calling was given to you by God. And it is the call of life inside of us, seeking to extend through us. Each of us are permanently employed by God. The very fact that we were born, and when we know that, we know that there is a meaning to my being on this earth today, regardless whether I have a job or not. Then a job actually is more attracted to us events of the world fall in place more easily when we realize that we actually are not of this world, that we are here on a bigger job. And the universe is then not only self-organizing that way, it's also self-correcting. Just like the body is programmed to breathe and the body is programmed to, um, for the heart to beat, the body is also programmed to repair itself if there's an injury. And so it is that not only does the universe support you and me in in extending our creativity, but it's also, should there be something like a recession or a lost job or a bankruptcy or foreclosure or anything else, the universe is also programmed for correction, just as the GPS recalibrates if if you take a wrong turn. So I think we're depressed um, from a spiritual perspective because we... First of all, we don't remember who we are, which is that we are spiritual beings united with all of life. And, and along with that, we don't realize how much power we have. We don't realize how much creative power we have. And we don't realize how much the universe is on our side. So if we look at the world rather than the universal spiritual order of things as the source of our good, then we will, you know, that's living in idolatry. You're looking to the world as the source of your good. The idols will crash because that's simply not true. 
then you're depressed. And uh, how's that? How, how's that going to work for you when you need to go be, have an audition or have a job interview? You know how many of us, most of us, have had circumstances in our lives where we realize after the fact. I mean, who among us hasn't had this in our personal lives and our work lives? You realize after the fact that you just sat next to someone at a party, at a dinner, at a lunch counter, whatever, who actually could have and perhaps would have been such an amazing contact and possibility for a breakthrough in a particular area, but because you were so focused on the past, because you didn't stand in the realization that in any given moment the universe is ready to begin again, that basically you missed the opportunity because your energy wasn't fully present in the present, which if you don't have faith in a self-organizing and self-correcting universe, you probably won't. Yep. Yeah, that whole, as you mentioned, the Industrial Revolution and the scientific um, evolution that came about as a result of that uh, seems to say that there's a randomness to our existence, that we we are built and we grow in a random kind of way, and, right. and random world is is what we live in, and that is an order of chaos. Which, you know, those two words are <laughs> oxymorons. But right, you're in, you're saying that our our lives are ordered as divine beings, as spiritual beings, as you say, uh, along the lines of who we are. Well, absolutely. And if if you you were an embryo. And something, some invisible force programmed you that this embryo, this one little sperm and one little egg turned into a little brain and spleen and heart and lungs and fingers and toes and skin and hair, right? Mm -hmm. And so most of us live as though, well, okay, nature programmed me when I was nothing but an embryo to turn into a baby and then I was just plopped on the earth and I have to take it from here. You know, the idea of a self-organizing universe is that there is no aspect of life which is not, which does not carry the imprint of a divine and perfect architecture. And that's why the Einstein quote that I use at the very beginning of the book is he says, the most important decision we ever make is whether we think we live in a hostile or a friendly universe. Because if you do think you live in a, in a random universe, as you were saying, where nothing and no one particularly cares about you, you are completely on your own, then you live by definition in a state of fear, in a state of struggle, in a state of, I mean, there's, there's, you're always fighting this kind of despair of, oh, my God, what am I doing here? If you feel that you're living in a friendly universe, you're open to receive on entirely new levels. You have an easy expectation of good things happening, which can much more easily happen because you do. And you, your experience of life is completely different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so much of what we could ha- we could see, as you just said, how I missed that contact, uh, is is invisible. I remember a friend of mine, very dear friend of mine, one time said, you know, it was, he was talking to somebody about a um, a potential relationship. He said, you know, Mister Wright could be standing right next to you, and you wouldn't see him because exactly you're busy because looking for Mister Wright. You're not if you're so busy, you know, bemoaning. The one that didn't work, sometimes you're not really available to the one that perhaps would work. Absolutely, absolutely. So you talk in the book a lot about how it is that we can uh, change our thinking and change our beliefs to a new paradigm. And one of the main paradigms that you're talking about there is the distinction between fear and love. 
And one of the things you talk about with that is the idea of, and we just have like maybe a minute or two before the break, but I want to just at least touch on the whole concept of loving money. We tend to think of that in terms of greed. So what does that do to us? Well, you know, it's an interesting, um, an interesting topic, and you're right, I do deal with it in the book. A lot of people, particularly if they were given this through some kind of um, religious or, or cultural prejudice, have this idea that if someone has money, by definition they're greedy that there's something impure or unholy about money. Now, if you have that judgment, which then leads you, if you think that there's something unholy or impure about money itself, then you will, by definition, look at people who have accumulated wealth from a judgmental perspective. So if you judge those who have money, then any time money is on its way to you, you will subconsciously sabotage it. If you will not emotionally give permission to other people to have money, you know, and I'm not saying there's not economic injustice in this country and elsewhere. There absolutely is. And I'm not saying that we should whitewash that. I'm not saying we should minimize it. And I'm not saying people who, who have um, transgressed economically should not be held accountable. However, not everyone who has created wealth has done so from an unethical place. And that's the deal with money. That's the thing with it, with capitalism. They of themselves are morally neutral, and it has to do with the ethics of the person. It has to do with how money is used and how money is made. So as long as we have this judgment that all money comes from greed and uh, somehow it's not cool to have it, then you're going to just subconsciously undermine yourself uh, as you uh, make your way towards um, making money if you change your paradigm. Mm-hmm. and know that you want to be ethical around money just as you want to be ethical about everything, that you want to have the amount of money that would increase. You know, I always say, people say, well, how much money should we want? My, my answer to that is however much would make you not have to think about money mm-hmm. so that you can live in the most creative, righteous way with life itself. And then you want to see money as a form of worldly power, which it gives you uh, responsibility, and to have a very sober appraisal of it, and to know that it can be used for good. And we also know that it can be used for harm on this planet. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the answer to that is to eschew money. The answer to that is to be very committed to using it uh, in an ethical and um, spiritually purposeful way to the extent to which we have it. All right. Beautiful answer. And we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more from Marianne Williamson. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you ever stop and wonder if there's more to life than what you are experiencing? Do you feel like you deserve to live that life? Of course you should. Tune in to Shining Bright with your host, Regina Sisko. Through Regina's life experiences and her guest experts, you can put yourself on the path to holistic self-discovery and the life that you were born to lead. Shining Bright with Regina Sisko is broadcast live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back today with Marianne Williamson. And you know, the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology, You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees in chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following. Holistic Theology, offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of A.H.T. gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. You want to know more? Go to www. Dot A-I-H-T dot E-D-U or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Start today to getting a degree that you can be not only proud of, but that will bring your spiritual gift to the world. And we're back with Marianne Williamson talking today about the law of attraction, uh, excuse me, the law of divine compensation. And we're, we're talking about this issue of money and, and we've talked a little bit about the issue of power and what that really means. And I think the basis of what you're trying to say, Marianne, if I've got this right, you please correct me, is, is that first there's a, two ways of looking at life, love or fear, and that we are much stronger than we think we are because we are spiritual be- beings. We are what I would call divine beings. Absolutely. And, 
it's counterintuitive, but the way to have power in the mortal world is to know that you're not of the mortal world. Because to the extent to which you only identify yourself with the material plane, then you are at the effect of all the laws that rule here. And the laws that rule here are laws of scarcity and uh, far too often laws of uh, loss and pain and suffering. And we are heir to the laws that rule the world we identify with. If we began identifying with a realm of love and infinite love, then we realize that we are not to be held back uh, by the normal obstructions of this world because we are of a larger universal order that is set up not only to promote and to foster our good, but as I said earlier, to correct uh, things when things seem off kilter and off whack. So that just makes everything different. We've all made mistakes. We've all fallen down at various times. And I think when it comes to our financial lives, particularly, we've all had our ups and downs. But when you realize that the universe is set up to correct itself and the universe is set up to make all things right, even when they have been made wrong, uh, just as the body knows how to repair itself, then you you are living under... It's not that you're not in physical incarnation and it's not that you know the laws of time and space do not apply to you, but at the deepest level of your being, you, you, ha- you do transcend um, and you do, through the uh, auspices of the love in your heart, uh, have the capacity to rise above situations and to create breakthroughs in situations that would not otherwise occur. Right. So let's talk about some of the, a little few of the things that sort of block us from seeing what actually the abundance that actually is already ours. Well, um, any unloving thought, any okay. critical thought, any judgment, any uh, any uh, limitation, any faithlessness. But what faithlessness really is, is when we have more faith in the power of the world to stop us than in the power of God to heal us. You know, there are two kinds of thought. There are love, and love is, rela- is related to fear the way light is related to darkness. You turn on off the light and the darkness is there. And the same thing with fear. If I, my mind is filled with love, if I say the only reason I have this job is so that I could use it to help love the world. My only function as I wake up in this morning is to extend my love. I'm here to bless people, not blame people. I'm not here to worry about the past because the universe will correct that as long as I stay fully in the present. As long as my mind remains disciplined, you know, the word discipline comes from the same root as the word disciple. If you make yourself a disciple of the divine, it means I wish to discipline my thoughts so that I will not easily be tempted by the anger of the world, the judgment of the world, the lovelessness of the world, because I know that any time my mind is aligned with love, miracles or divine good and divine correction occur automatically. And because every law, every thought is a cause within an effect, if in any moment I do not love, if in any moment I am uh, lured by the temptation of the fear-based thinking of the world to blame rather than bless, to whine rather than contribute, to complain rather than do something positive, then the effects will be that I am pulled down into the very lower, thought, lower regions of experience that I allowed myself to be involved in in the lower level of thought. So you realize how much responsibility each and every one of us have for our own lives. You know, many times things happen that we wish hadn't happened, but still we are fully responsible for how we interpret what happened, and that means we are responsible for, in many ways, what happens next. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
And that sort of surrender to the infinite creative energy that is, is flowing through us all the time is a kind of release, is it not? Releasing anger, guilt, bias, those kinds of things? Well, absolutely, because you know that they, at the deepest level, are not real, and you surrender them for healing. Uh, whether you, you call it the internal teacher or the Holy Spirit or the great transformer, you realize that there is a power in you, but not of you, that can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You know, a lot of us have been around enough to know sometimes it's not as easy as just saying, okay, I'll think differently. Oh, no. You know, sometimes it's not so it's not so easy, and that's when you ask God's help, and you say, "God, I'm willing to see the blessing in this. I'm willing to see the innocence in that person. I'm willing to forgive, but I need some help doing that." And amazing things happen when we come from that place. Absolutely, it's a recognition of our mm-hmm. own powerlessness and a recognition of the powerlessness that is mm-hmm. from that state that believes we're separate from the mm-hmm. divine, and a sort of surrender to the state that believes that we are connected mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. are divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, in terms of guilt, I want to stop on that one just for a minute because you said some really important stuff in the book about that, and one of the things you said, or, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, um, had to do with uh, your, the idea that we can sometimes refuse or sort of denounce receipt of money because we feel that other people don't have enough and we feel like then we shouldn't either. Well, first of all, you know, a a poor person, you know, doesn't need your pity so much as needs your help. Mm -hmm. And the more money you have, the more generous you can be. You know, a lot of times people will say things like, how can you say that love is the energy that produces money? What are you saying, that uh, children who are starving in Africa are starving because they don't love enough? And my response to that is, I'm not saying that the problem is that they're not loving enough, but I am saying that the problem is that we're not loving enough. So absolutely the problem, when you look at 17,000 children who die on this planet every day of starvation, 17,000 children, I don't mean every year, I mean every day. And, and if you, you know, it's such an immense amount of human suffering involved in that, that you, you almost have to like make yourself stop and go, no, wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, that means a mother holding a baby who is saying, mommy, I'm hungry, in her arms, absolutely unable to give the baby any food, watching your children die. I mean, the whole thing, the amount of suffering is so extraordinary. Now, Jeffrey Sachs, he is an economist out of Columbia University, has established that if we were to spend $100 billion, now that is one-seventh of what the United States spends on our military every year, we could eradicate deep poverty. And deep poverty means those billion on the planet who live on less than $1.25 a day. We could eradicate deep poverty in 10 years. Now, for those of us who are interested in personal growth and spirituality, we understand that if you want your life to be renewed and reinvigorated and realigned with all things good, you're going to have to see where you're off kilter with the ethical and moral universe. It's like in the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous where they talk about, you know, do you have any character defects you need to look at? Do you have any amends you need to make? Do you have anything to atone for? And all that kind of thing. Well, this is true of our collective lives as well. We, there's a lot of 
of moral questioning that I think we should do in the Western world. I mean, given the advanced things of our civilization, the advanced powers of not only our country but so many, you really begin to ask yourself, what is the moral statement that we are giving to the universe allowing all these babies to starve every day. Now, some people would say, we have problems here in our own country. Well, nobody's doubting that. You know, we do have hungry children in America. One at, numerically, one in four American children go to sleep hungry at night. Fortunately, we don't have starvation in America, but we do have hunger and serious hunger. But when you look at the fact that we spend $700 billion on our military every year, and it would cost a hundred billion over ten years to just make deep poverty on the planet a memory. Yep. Then you really understand that a country, a nation, needs to deal with its soul and its conscience just like an individual does. And it makes the whole conversation, the dialogue that we have, not just as we've had that dialogue in our own hearts, how am I doing, am I doing the right thing? I think a country needs to ask that as well. And the dominant economic conversation in our country is so devoid of a moral dimension. And uh, from a spiritual perspective, that's one of the reasons we have economic problems. There's not a lot of blessing coming from the universe. You know, we receive blessing to the extent to which we bless. And when we're spending our money the way we are, um, you really have to ask yourself how much blessing is pouring down on us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, the whole thing of sort of sweeping that part of the world, uh, the starvation, the hunger, the poverty out of our minds here in the Western world, uh, makes that shadow material that we're projecting onto them, and they have the problem and we don't, but it's, it's our problem as long as it's their problem. Well, you know what's interesting, too, because I think that there's a level on which we can't at this point say we sweep it away. I mean, there are millions of people all over the world who do the most amazing humanitarian work on hunger and other uh, issues around the world, and many of them are American, and America does participate. America doesn't participate the way people seem to think we do. We, we give uh, less than 1% of our discretionary budget in humanitarian aid. People don't seem to know that, but that's the truth. We have this idea that we are the most generous country in the world. We're actually not by any uh, shape. We are very good when there is a single catastrophe. You know, if there's a tsunami, if there's an earthquake, we're very good then. And, and we should give ourselves credit for that and be proud of our country for that. But when it comes to these silent emergencies, they call them, that people live with all over the world every single day, uh, we're, you know, most of the far majority of the aid we give is military aid. That's very, very different than humanitarian aid. And when it comes to the deep poverty, global poverty, uh, hunger of children around the world, what we do is we participate. But you know what? It's like all of us know from personal growth. At a certain point in life, you don't just try. You decide whether or not you're going to do it. If there was a consensus among the advanced industrialized nations of the world, and America is considered one that's most loath to have this, not one that's most, you know, you know, ready to have this. If the most advanced industrialized nations of the world simply said, okay, that's it. Deep poverty is over within 10 years. Um, it would be a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, every, every time you have a depressed economy of starving people, that's a marketplace, uh, a, a potential marketplace 
that you're simply not developing. Forget even the moral dimensions of it. And, and I will also add that anytime you have an area of um, truly desperate people, whether it's in a corner of the United States or in a corner of the world, you're also dealing with a group of people who are more vulnerable to ideological capture by genuinely psychotic forces, whether it's gangs here in the United States or terrorist organizations abroad. So there is a consequence uh, that we face uh, when we allow ourselves to turn away from human despair and suffering. Totally agree. Could not agree more. That's very well said, too. Yeah, and we and and that whole that whole aspect brings us back to our, our own fears when we start thinking, oh my gosh, I've just lost my job. Am I going to be among the hungry going to sleep tonight? Am I going to end up starving to death? You know, we, we then it comes home to us. And so, what do we do then? What what happens then? We stand on faith in knowing that. First of all, by the way, the first thing you you realize about what you just said is, wow, I will never lack compassion again. Now I know what this kind of despair feels like. Wow, I don't think I fully appreciated it before, but I do now. So that's the first thing. Um, and you and you say to God, if I, when I get out of this mess, I will never forget those who are in the situation that I'm in now. There's a lot of spiritual power in that willingness to bear agony to the suffering of others and not looking away. That's number one. Number two, as I said before, uh, and that's where I hope the book is helpful to people. The realization, and when I say the realization, I mean on a visceral level, uh, that it is a self-organizing universe and it is a self-correcting universe. And you know that in God's universe, there is not only talent in all of us that is unique, but in God's universe, there is already in the mind of God a divine architecture, a divine blueprint by which we are lifted up to the highest level of our creative possibility. And we look for the places in our own lives where perhaps we are not allowing miracles to flow because we're not allowing love to flow. Most people are not used to thinking, okay, if I need money, who am I not forgiving? Most of the time we'd be thinking, well, how does forgiveness have anything to do with my bank account? But once you realize that miracles are flow naturally in the presence of love and that wherever we do not love, we are deflecting a miracle and blocking the blessing, then you realize that checking your heart for the places where you're not loving is the most important thing you could do to find divine programming and divine correction in any area of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that whole thing of placing our mind in a reception, uh, a position of receiving love and letting it flow through us is just mm-hmm. amazingly profound. So we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. We'll be back with more from Marianne Williamson about the law of divine compensation in just a minute. Stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you feeling out of control? Are bad relationships, anger, depression, and lifestyle overwhelming you? You can choose to release the belief systems that have kept women stuck for years. Tune in to The Power of an Unstoppable Woman with Dr. Rose Backman as your host. Break free from the genetic beliefs that can cause sabotage. It's time to stand up for who you are and what you believe in no matter what. 
Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you discovered you? Each week, listen for Discover You Radio with host Debbie Regale. Debbie and her featured guests will help you to discover your true passions, fears, abilities, and motivations. Too many times in life, we forget the energy and drive of our youth. Who we are hasn't been changed, just perhaps our perception of it has. Let Debbie help you with your own self-discovery and reignite that fire that is still within you. Discover You Radio is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Tune in to the Empowered Healer Show with Dr. Susan Allison. Our program will help you to heal yourself, support those around you, and enhance your work and your relationships. Healing can be physical, emotional, or spiritual, and it can be personal or collective for the healing of our planet. Dr. Allison and her guests will offer methods of healing that will go beyond your life and reach the lives of others. Tune in to the Empowered Healer Show. Airing live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Marianne Williamson talking about the Law of Divine Compensation today. And we have another sponsor now, uh, the course based on 10 years of research and extensive interviews caught, that's produced a book and a documentary film at uh, Noetic, uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences called Death Makes Life Possible. Um, you can find out more about that by going to www.noetic.org. And uh, we were talking just before the break about it's it's hard to imagine that we could look inside of ourselves and say, well, now if if I'm not having if I'm having financial problems, what do I need to forgive? What do I need to look at inside of myself? And I, I want to talk some more about that because one of the things you said in the book was that we sometimes think that we're arrogant to think of ourselves as God's gift to the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important to just consider for a minute. Well, the Course in Miracles says that we have that the thinking of the world is 180 degrees away from the thinking of God. And that one of the things that we have completely upside down is arrogance and humility. It's not arrogant to think of yourself as having a very special gift that nobody else has. It's actually humble to realize that you have a special gift that nobody else has. We all do. The Course in Miracles says all of the children of God are special and none of the children of God are special. So you realize that it's nothing arrogant to know I have something in me that God has placed in me that he would have me give as my gift to the world and I am on this earth to give it. And, you know, sometimes we say, well, as soon as I have a job, I will give it. But once you realize that... As I said before, we all have a calling, whether at a particular moment you're employed or not. You know, sometimes 
somebody said to me once, um, she was charging a lot of money for something she was doing that she had only been doing for a very short time. And I asked her, you know, kind of basically I wanted to say, where do you get off charging that much in some polite way? And she said, well, I charge that much because I want the universe to take me seriously. And my response to her was that it seems to me that what makes the universe, quote-unquote, take us seriously is where it's obvious that we would be doing something whether we were paid for it or not. And that's when you're living at at a place where it's not about the money. It's about the fact that you have a gift to give to the world, and that is your calling. And then the money and the business opportunities form around that. And too many times, you know... I think almost more today than ever. I mean, everything's so financialized. Everything is so about the money. And I don't think that that increases the flow of money to our door because it's not a really high vibration. It's it's counterintuitive. Money is one form that, that the earth, that earthly support arrives in, but we want to be playing a bigger game than to be just doing something, quote-unquote, for the money. We're doing something in order to play the biggest part of contributor that we can play to the upliftment of the planet, period. And you monetize as feels appropriate. You charge what feels appropriate. You pay according to this principle that feels like appropriateness. But when you realize that it's all about the contribution to the planet, then you see that love is your fuel. You know, how many of us wake up in the morning and pray for the happiness of our employer? How many of us wake up in the morning and pray for the happiness of our employees? How many of us wake up in the morning and pray for the happiness of our customers? How many of us bless a customer every time the customer walks into our store? How many of us go into a, into a job interview and saying, I just want love to prevail. I just want... I just want love. I'm going in there to love. I'm going in there to silently bless the person who will be doing this interview today. And, you know, some people might laugh. Fine, laugh. Just try it. I don't care if you laugh, but try it. And um, some amazing things begin to happen. When we're just playing the game of love, that's what we're here to do. That's why we're in business. That's why we're in work. And then you're coming from total abundance on a spiritual plane, and then abundance is what will show up in your life. Yeah, in all forms, not just money, but in all forms. Absolutely, yeah. because prosperity is not just about money. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and the whole idea of that, uh, that um, having an arrogance says, I'm, 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 I'm afraid to let myself be the powerful being I am, like mm-hmm. you mentioned in Illuminata and, and uh, Return to Love and several other books, that whole idea that we are powerful beyond measure. Um, and and to say, well, it might be arrogant for me to say I'm really God's gift to the world. Of course, yeah, like you said, of course we all are. Uh-huh. Yep. You're no more or less a divine gift to the world than anyone else. Exactly. And to the ego mind, what the ego doesn't want us to do is to stand in that knowing. Mm-hmm. Why not me? Yeah, exactly. That's great. Why not me? That's Because a, that's, that's the death of the ego. Oh, yeah. When we realize that. Yeah. And once again, that's not an arrogant position. That's a humble position. Why not me? All that we are is faucets. We're not the water. And to show up and say, hey, I want to be a faucet through which the divine can, you know, flow through. You, you flow through me, God. That's, that's a service mentality. 
Yeah, and seeing you, you, you talked about it just, um, just a few seconds ago, but also you mentioned in the book that seeing your work as your ministry is, is not the same as, I mean, like you said, when you go in to look for a job, if you're going in to say, okay, how can I serve? That's different from going in and saying, please take me, I'll do anything if you'll just take me. Yeah. yeah. Desperation. Yes. It's yeah. not attractive. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about metaphysical transformation, and one of the ways you talk about it in the book is through the, uh, a, a different view of meditation where it's not just sitting and, and being quiet and, or not reducing stress or not just um, you know, being in a place where you're not thinking as much, but really tuning in to that deeper part of yourself. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, I, what, what I talk about in the book is that a lot of people these days when you ask them, do you meditate? And they say, yes, I meditate. But then when you ask them what their meditation practice is, what they're describing really is not meditation. What they're describing is relaxation. Now, relaxation is an important thing. Deep relaxation is great. But not all deep relaxation is meditation. All meditation is deeply relaxing, but not all deep relaxation is meditation. Med- an actual meditation practice, which actually emits different, from which you actually emit different brain waves, actually has to do with um, a technique that is called in the East a mantra. In the Course in Miracles, we have um, a daily exercise that is uh, uh, one of 365 days worth of meditation exercises. Lessons, they're called. So when you have a sentence or some practice that actually takes you into that place where your mind is realigned with the universal order, as it were, not only does that let your body relax at a much deeper level than you normally would, but it does reweave your relationship with the universe itself. Yeah. Which is a very extraordinary thing. Yeah. And it, 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 it's informative. It gives that information that um, changes you on a deep core level. You can't, you're not thinking like the ego thinks anymore. Well, you receive insight. You receive illumination. You know, you come out of a state like that and you go, oh, my God, I have this incredible idea. Mm-hmm. And then you remember, I, wouldn't, I didn't have that idea before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so, it's so interestingly quiet. It's so uh, that you... I guess you could just put it away and pretend it didn't happen if you wanted to, but who would want to? Well, that's the interesting thing about meditation. You don't even realize how powerful it is till you stop doing it. Mm-hmm. You realize, you know, when I was meditating, things just fell into place more. When I was meditating, I didn't have so many of these problems. You just come to remember that, you know, this something happened from all this. That would not have happened. And here is a technique, you know, sometimes we find that we would rather, you know, bitch and moan for an hour to a friend or even to someone who's getting a lot of money to listen to us moan and groan uh, or take a pill more and more these days than actually do a very, very easy technique of whatever our spiritual technique is to meditate and move back into the natural rhythms of the universe at the deepest level of our thinking. So prayer and meditation form an important part of uh, the things that I'm talking about in the law of divine compensation because it allows the compensation to happen. Right, right. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. It allows the compensation to happen, yes. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned um, some steps that we can use for metaphysical transformation. I know we don't have time to go into a great deal of depth with that, but 
some of those, one of those for sure, Susie Orman would definitely agree with, which is cleaning up what needs to be cleaned up. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Well, you know, as I said earlier, we've all had our financials ups and downs, or most of us have had anyway. And most of us have two files. One of them is called, you know, my own damn fault. And one is called, I don't know how I'll ever forgive those bastards. You know, we have these pains that we carry from the past. Another file is debt that we never totally faced. And sometimes we are so overwhelmed, you know, how could I ever pay that back or whatever. But we don't have debtor's prison in the United States, you know. We, there's an amazing thing, even karmically, that happens when you say, you know, I can't pay you all of that now, but could I pay you $25 a month until the bill is paid? If you just push stuff to the back of the drawer, the universe that you, that you do owe, with which you would balance the universe on your account, as it were, the universe holds you to it. The universe will not free you if you are not freeing yourself. So a lot of us have things we have to deal with from the past. Um, like I said, we've all had our ups and downs. We've all, uh, most of us anyway, have made mistakes. The universe is a merciful universe, definitely. But at the same time, there are laws. And when we have, to whatever extent we have um, transgressed, uh, ethically, morally, uh, intentionally or not, as we come to recognize, then we not only atone for that mistake, but we also make amends uh, wherever possible. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of, of freeing the universe to begin again on our behalf. Yes, yes, very well said. Freeing the universe to begin again. Mm-hmm. The other thing you talk about is allowing yourself to want what you want. I, I think that is so beautiful and so freeing. Would you mind saying that, just a little bit about that, just before we go here today? Well, that goes back to what we were saying before. If you have a judgment, if you think that money is unholy or you think money is impure, you think all rich people are greedy, then when you find yourself uh, wanting a certain amount of money, you go, oh, no, I shouldn't want that money. Um, But once again, why not you as opposed to somebody else who might not use it as responsibly and generously and compassionately as you would? So I think when it comes to our natural desires, and this is not just about money but about a lot of things, we censor ourselves. And when we censor ourselves, we give an ambivalent message to the universe. Sometimes we say we want something, but then we're saying, well, but I shouldn't want it. And so the universe kind of doesn't know what to do with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I want it, but I shouldn't want it, so no, I don't really want it, but I really do want it, and I wish I had it, but oh no, um, no, I shouldn't want that, I have to stop thinking about that. And sometimes that throws off the universal programming, because the very fact you have the desire is the universe trying to talk to you about what it wants you to have. And all it's asking you to do is to acknowledge it and say, yeah, I can see where that would be a good thing for all concerned, because if I had that, I would behave this way or that way. And then you, you know, you don't, you don't go into desperate, you don't go into greedy, you don't go into any of that stuff. You just go into a radical yes to the universe and say, if it is God's will for that to occur in my life, I receive with humility, I receive with, with, with a commitment and a devotion to take whatever I am given and do with it as God would have me do. Yeah, because that that um, that idea of allowing ourselves to want what we want, what you just said, is so key, I think, that desire is the universe telling us something about our lives, something about who we are and what we're here to do. I think that's so true. Like I yeah. said before, you know, it's not like most of us wake up and desire to rob a bank today. Right. You know, 
if you think about it, you desire to, you know, instead of censoring the desire, why don't you go further with it and then say, well, why is it that I desire to do that? You know, I was talking about the days between Christmas and New Year's, how it's a perfect time to relax and just let your right brain have it. Um, Sometimes all you desire to do is walk along the beach. Well, that's because the best way for your brain to heal and balance itself today would be to walk along the beach. So we're too quick to say, no, I shouldn't want that. Absolutely, absolutely. Marianne, thank you so much for being on the show today. I so appreciate it, and I know that our listening audience is going to truly benefit for what you've had to say today. Well, thank you so much for having me and giving me this opportunity. All right. God well, bless you, darling. Next week we're going to be talking about a spirit of new beginnings, so you want to be here for that as well. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.